The dreams in my heart are possible. I know the desires in my heart are good for me, are good for the world, are good for anyone that participates in helping make them happen or is benefited because they do. I know that now. I didn't always. Welcome to Energetic Intelligence for Entrepreneurs, the podcast that guides spiritually curious professionals like you into soul-inspired success without sacrificing who you are to get there. Creative pursuits with impact, expansion through alignment, personal growth for professional gains. With your host, Beth Perry. The story I'm going to share, it was intense for me to live through. My near-death experience happened during labor. So anyone currently pregnant or has anxiety around having a baby, I'm going to encourage you to maybe listen to this episode later. I am so excited about this podcast journey. I'm really excited to have you join along and make it your journey as much as mine. I'm not here to heal you, but I do want to empower you on your journey of healing by sharing my journey of healing with you. In our Facebook community, The Breakthrough Collective, our tagline is heal yourself, change the world. And I know that if you're attracted to the concept of energetic intelligence, that you are the kind of person that can do just that. A pivotal part of my story is when I left home at 17. I had graduated high school early because of my love for learning and my overachieving (laughs) self-worth that I had tied up in being the best at that time. And... It was an interesting situation because I couldn't wait to get away. And my parents told me I could either go to URI or to UConn. They were both schools less than an hour away from where we lived. And I remember looking at them and saying, I'm pretty sure I can go anywhere that cashes the check I'm writing. Now, I know that they just wanted the best for me, and it's because they loved me that they wanted to keep me close. And here's the thing. I love my family. And I know that they love me, but financially, it was all on me. When I left home, I got a ride from my cousin, and she drove me about 15 hours away. That was a whole experience (laughs) to do a road trip to basically teenage girls doing a road trip. Thanks, Jenny, if you're listening. I had everything I owned in the back of the car, and I was fueled by my big dreams and armed with basically a Tony Robbins CD set (laughs) program. I had spent way more money than I thought I had on, but I'm so glad I did. And the version of me that left home, this was before Strong was the new sexy. And as an athletic girl with no thigh gap, I always felt a little awkward physically. I had curly hair that I didn't quite know what to do with. So the frizz was embarrassing on most days. And I treasured the brand name hand-me-downs that I got occasionally. But anybody looking from the outside in would have agreed that basically I had no chance of ever making it, in air quotes, whatever that means. But I knew what it meant to me. I had very big money goals. I had very big impact goals. I had very big dreams of how I wanted to be happy 
And I did. I mean, I have achieved a lot of those dreams. The 17-year-old Bethany's dreams have been like, check, 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 check. I've won awards. I've made the money that I wanted to make at the time. I've found the love. I am a mom now. All those things that 17-year-old Bethany dreamed about came true at one point or another over the next 20 years. But then I was faced with a near-death experience where anybody looking from the outside in, I shouldn't have made it. Again, I didn't stand a chance. And yet I'm still here. And I believe that the reason I am is bigger than just me. I know that the dreams I have in my heart are possible. I know that the desires I have in my heart are good for me, are good for the world, are good for anyone that participates in helping make them happen or is benefited because they do. I know that now. I didn't always. The energetic intelligence blueprint which is what I work with in my signature program, the year-long mentorship that I take clients through to really help them embody their own energetic intelligence. That required not just the college degree, but the 20 years of experience and the multiple certifications and yes, the awards and all the things that I guess they, they matter to a point. But what matters more than anything I know in my head or even any personal experience I've had is how does that apply to you? How can you take that and make your life, your business, your relationships, your bank account, your happiness more? And that's what this podcast is about. I'm going to share the story of how this blueprint came into focus for me because it's been within me the whole time. And I do believe it is my life's work to have figured it out in this way and to share it and make it accessible for others to personalize for themselves. Like you, you listening, this is for you. But the story I'm going to share, it was intense for me to live through. And I, I just want to say, if there's anyone, it is my near-death experience happened during child labor or childbirth. And so if anyone is listening, is currently pregnant or has any anxiety around the concept of getting pregnant or having a baby, I'm going to encourage you to maybe listen to this episode later if it doesn't feel good. But check in with yourself about if it feels good for you to hear an intense circumstance. Now, obviously, I'm still here. So the outcome is quite positive. I'm committed to being transparent and vulnerable, not just about my wins and all the very exciting things, breakthroughs that I've had and teachings that I've been able to create, but about the struggles and the challenges and the like absolute what the fuck moments that I've been through because that's the best way I know to add value to your life. And you'll notice that part of every episode at the end, I offer the reminder that it's great to have someone tell you what works for them, but it's better to have someone show you what will work for you. And that's what I'm committed to doing in my business, in my coaching practice, in my public speaking engagements, and, and ultimately in this podcast. I'm excited to explore how I can accept questions from you or interview the people that you look up to 
I'm really excited about having this journey together. And I feel very strongly that we should start this journey when I had my breakthrough and absolute defining moment about committing to this work in a more powerful way. So buckle up. Here we go. It's story time. It started on a dark and stormy night, a very dark and stormy night. (laughs) And I had been through multiple miscarriages. This had been a high-risk pregnancy that I thought I was losing twice along the way. And on this particular night, I had some spotting and called my doctor. And she asked me if I was having contractions. And I said, no, I mean, I'm having a little cramping here and there. She said to put my feet up, call her back in an hour if the bleeding hadn't stopped, but most likely she was going to want me to come in. Now, my husband was out at guys night. And for those of you that have heard this story, you might have seen my husband and I do our live stream where we shared this. And that's really fun to witness because he has so much colorful commentary, especially from his perspective. So who knows, maybe at some point I'll do a podcast episode and bring him on to to tell this story with me. But for now, I'm starting this. This is just between me and you, my heart to your heart. I called my husband who was out at guys night a.k.a. my brother's house with his best friend, Wade, probably sitting around a campfire having a couple beers. And I said, just to let you know, I called the doctor. We might have to go in, but, you know, just no shots or anything in case I need you to come home. It's probably nothing. And then ended up we had to go in. So he speeds home. I had specifically told him there's no need to speed, but he did anyway, because he was like, I'm having a baby. Oh my gosh, we're having a baby. And got home and he was like, all right, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? And I was like, I don't know. We Can you go move those boxes? This was two weeks earlier than my due date. So he's looking for something to do. I'm waddling slowly around the house, kind of like, I want to finish the laundry. I mean, my nesting instincts were on full throttle. So by the time we got to the hospital, it was almost midnight. They did a basic check and told me that, yes, I was three and a half centimeters dilated and was definitely having contractions, but that it could be however long. Now, my understanding of childbirth at this point from my sisters who had already had babies was that their first, they were in pre-labor or having contractions for multiple days, if not longer. And my godson, his mom was in, she was dilated about that much for almost two weeks. So I'm like, okay, we're something's happening, but maybe not for a while. They offered me the option to stay overnight. I decided to say yes, mostly because the ride there had been so uncomfortable. (laughs) It was only a five to seven minute ride, but every bump I felt so hard. I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to drive home. All right, we'll stay tonight. So they continued monitoring me. I didn't have any drugs. And our intention, our birth plan was essentially two humans in, three humans home. Whatever needs to happen for that to happen. I had ideals. I wanted a natural childbirth with no drugs. I didn't want a C-section. I guess I was hoping it would be two pushes. Who knows? Like we've heard of orgasmic births. I was like, I mean, okay, that sounds way better than a lot of the other descriptions I've heard. So we were open to it going perfectly, 
according to how we ideally wanted it to, but we also knew that the main point was two humans in, three humans home was the ultimate goal. They moved us into a room. I felt it was almost like Moana, the Disney depiction of the Hawaiian chief chair. They had the birthing bed set up where I I was basically sitting on about a five-inch piece of the table with a straight back right behind me and then my legs. I remember being almost in a yoga position of just my legs were crossed and I was relaxing and breathing through. And my husband was taking a nap on the couch until it got to the point where I was like, okay, you have to wake up and know you don't know what to do because we did. We, oh, this is an important part of the story. We hadn't taken our birthing class yet. Now I had seen multiple live births. So I'd been in the room. I saw all five of my brothers and sisters born at home. But it's very different when it's happening to your body. My husband, on the other hand, basically had never even held a baby except for my nephew, Gavin, who he held for about five seconds when we were first dating. It was like, okay, can I give him back? Did I get enough brownie points yet? So we had booked a birthing class, but it didn't start until 9 a.m. the next morning. So now we're probably going to miss that class, right? So he is coming up to me and he's like, I have no idea what to do. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know, rub my feet or something. And he's doing it. And honestly, it didn't really help. But I was like, thanks for trying. And he was a very solid walking partner as I was going from the bed to a hot shower back to the bed. And they kept putting the wires, not the wires, the, the pads on my belly to monitor the contractions. And I could take a 15 minute break from having those hooked up every hour, which I would go spend in the hot shower. So in the meantime, Jake is now no longer napping. And at one point I look at him and I say, I don't think I can keep this up for another three days. I mean, this is, this is really intense. And so the word rock star is getting thrown around a lot. The nurses are like, you're a rock star. The doctors, you're a rock star. Oh my gosh. Like you haven't been to birthing class. You haven't had any drugs yet. Like you're doing awesome. But I'm like, "Mm, yeah, no, I am a rock star. And I think I would like some drugs. So talk me through what my options are. So as they're talking me through, they give me all the things. I'm like, yep, okay, so what do we have to do to make the decision? They tell me they have to check me again. As they check me, they realize I'm nine and a half centimeters dilated. So I'm like, okay, I guess it's not going to be a couple days. We're almost there. I got this. I don't need the drugs. Let's just, let's just go. Okay. And so it wasn't time to push yet. They were waiting for my water to break, which it did just a few minutes later. And so they have me start pushing and then my water breaks again. This is an important part of the story for a couple reasons. Number one, because my water had broken the first time, but my, the baby's head, and we didn't know, by the way, if it was a girl or a boy at this point, we had chosen to wait to find out. So the baby's head was apparently so perfectly round that a little bit of water had come out, but then he basically blocked the rest of the amniotic fluids. Medically speaking, in hindsight, from what I have been told, by the doctors and nurses is that that's part of why things ended up, the miracles that happened ended up being possible. So on one given push, his heart rate started going down. So I guess I, spoiler alert, it was a boy, Jackson, my son, but we didn't know at the time. Jackson's head, basically, I was pushing him out, but he wouldn't come out any further. And then it would almost be like he went back in a little bit. Then the doctor came in Dr. Big Hands, not my nickname for him. Other people nicknamed him this, but it was an apt nickname. And next thing you know, 
things start moving faster and they're telling me not to push. So I'm having contractions and not pushing. And any woman who has ever given birth will understand how difficult that is. Even if you haven't given birth, if you've ever had to fart or had to poop and you have to hold it in, take that and like multiply it times a hundred. The amount of mind body control you have to have to make that happen just is next level. So that's going on. They're giving me oxygen. They have me in incredibly awkward positions. And then apparently my water breaks again because the head moved and allowed more of the amniotic fluid out. Now, this actually hits my husband, who he thought this was going to be like a Hollywood version of like, oh, I'll be up here by your shoulder and there'll be a sheet and I'll just hold your hand and let you squeeze hard on my hand and I'll tell you you're doing a good job and and then we'll have a baby. Well, no, he gets hit by how this amniotic fluid came out. He calls it baby shrapnel. And the doctors were like, well, you're one of us now. And he's like, yeah, okay, where do I go? Like, there's nowhere safe, right? So I start crying at one point. They're trying multiple positions. And I felt so lucky that the midwife that was on duty was someone I had worked with for years. She had been with me through a number of my miscarriages. So I had a good rapport with her. And also that my husband's best friend, his wife, Naomi, was working that day in the maternity department and was able to be my right hand rock. Jake was on my left hand. (laughs) Naomi was on my right hand. And Leanne, the midwife, was handling everything happening down from the view of my ankles. So I I feel really grateful that I had these people by my side because as I was in these incredibly uncomfortable positions and doing things that I didn't know I was capable of doing with my body. And at that point, I really wanted drugs, but also I was like, it could be over any second. They had the oxygen mask on me and they started crying, but all the oxygen and the flipping and the turning and the not pushing and the pushing and all the things It was getting too dangerous based on the baby's heart rate and also based on what was healthy for me. So they decided to call an emergency C-section. I remember them wheeling me down the hall. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was completely exposed. I think they had asked me if they wanted me to cover up. And I was like, don't you dare put anything on me. Just get me where we need to go. And from my memory, it felt like I was looking up at the ceiling And if you imagine being rolled down a stretcher down a hospital hallway, it felt like blue masks were being thrown around like confetti and people were just grabbing them. And I think it was Leanne missed and she was like, it's fine. I already have baby shrapnel in my hair. They were all gowned up and covered and and stuff like that. But we got to the operating room and they were calling people in. Things were going fast and they had left Jake in the delivery room. He couldn't come in for the C-section and they told him to wait, wait until we come back. And so. I'm on the operating table and in my brain, my brain made up the story that someone was strapping my leg down. I have since confirmed that they don't actually strap women down for C-sections at the hospital I was at. It was most likely someone placed their leg gently on my hand. But in my head, that's what I envisioned and it triggered a primal version of me. I don't know a different way to explain it, but some version of me, everything in me, this is the energetic intelligence blueprint. This is when I experienced it. It was all the work I had done in my entire life came together in this perfect moment where I just knew something bigger than myself. My energetic intelligence powered through me and I screamed at the top of my lungs, 
I'm pushing this baby out. And the anesthesiologist was right there. They were literally getting ready to start cutting before they could even get the drugs in me because it was this emergency situation. And the doctor looked over and he said, the, actually, she, she can push this baby out. The head is right there. All right, she's got one push. And next thing you know, somebody's getting Jake. And this is all within seconds. I have Leanne on my right side now. Naomi's on my left side. And Jake is directly over my head. And Leanne has given me the best pep talk ever. She's like, okay, you've got to push like your life depends on it. Your baby's life depends on it. You got to push like with the strongest thing you've ever done in your life. You've got one push to get this baby out. And they had been coaching me through the whole, you got push for 10 seconds and you breathe out and do all this stuff. So basically it was, they count back 10, nine, eight, all the way to zero. And then your push is over. So Leanne's like on your next contraction, you got to do this. You got to do this. Well, nothing's happening. It gets silent and people are waiting. And she asked me, are you having a contraction? And again, I'm in tears at this point. I start crying and I'm like, (laughs) I mean, I'm feeling a lot of things, but a contraction isn't one of them. And uh, this is a little explicit. So earphones, if you've got little munchkins around, but it's also a beautiful part of the biology of the human body. So she looks at my husband and she goes, tweak her nipples. (laughs) And he goes, what? And she goes, tweak her nipples. Now, side note, this scientifically helps induce contractions, the same reason that breastfeeding helps re-engage the uterus and abdominal muscles, because with every tweak, an involuntary muscle spasm happens. So this is his favorite part of the story. He likes to take credit for our son being born because he says that he tweaked the contraction that made it all happen. But it literally was the biggest push of my life. And they got to zero and I kept pushing. It it almost got silent again, but I wasn't stopping. I knew he had to come out and then he did. He tore right through everything in a vertical line. He actually tore his umbilical cord on the way out and they took him off to get checked. Here's the thing. On the way of getting to this experience, There was a disconnect I had that I have no doubt was an option for me to leave this earth. I remember having to choose. And it was, it was a long experience in my memory, but also I know it was impossible that it took a long time how we measure it here. I had to choose and I had a choice. And part of what anchored me in to choosing was pictures, actually, photographs. It's part of why I love to take pictures. It's why I'm such a believer in having professional photo shoots and for the experience because of what it does to our brain when we can anchor into this beautiful memory that we made. It's probably why I have a lot of creative clients because I believe that art in general serves a big, big purpose in this way. Not just in helping people through near death experiences, but in helping people live their most intentional life and and live their most fully expressed life at their highest potential. And I had some pictures in my mind that I anchored into, but I also started making pictures in my mind of the memories I wanted to make. And then I had this overwhelming sensation of, I can't go yet. Yes, I wanted to go. 
I was like, yeah, let's be done with this. This totally sucks right now. I don't think I can do it anymore. I don't think I can do it anymore. But that was just my body. My body was hitting a wall, but my soul didn't. You've probably heard that expression that nobody gets to their deathbed and wishes they would have worked more. But I had the opposite experience. It's not that I wanted to work more hours or work harder. It was a very clear, my mission is not complete. I can't go yet. My mission is not complete. And I do believe that my work, my the way that I get paid in my business is not just a paycheck. It is not a job. It is my life's work, my, my mission. And I hadn't been fully owning it up until that point. But from that moment, a few seconds later, I landed on the table. Then I screamed out my primal truth and pushed and the rest of the story happened. And I mentioned Jackson had torn his umbilical cord on the way out. This is important part of the story. Because that doesn't happen. There was nothing wrong with the umbilical cord. And one of the nicknames that Jackson got in the time that we spent in the hospital, which was more than usual, for sure, they called him Little Houdini because he had gotten him out. And I feel like it was him and I working together like he knew. And it was also by design, something bigger than us. The fact that his head shape saved some of that amniotic fluid, which is probably why he could continue to breathe and the umbilical cord continued to function until right at the last few minutes. And it's why he had no deprivations and perfect APGAR scores and and why he got out. He and I worked together in some kind of really beautiful way that wasn't, we just decided that I was going to push once and he came out. And I actually do know someone that had that experience. So I'm not making fun of that option. I'm just saying that we can find beautiful experiences in both pleasure and in pain. And this was one where that apparently is part of our agreement and and how my son and I worked together in that way, he got out okay. And honestly, it saved my life in a way because they they had to find the placenta. And I had what's called a retained placenta. So this is not a very common thing. It's a placenta is designed to be like Velcro in the uterus. It's supposed to stick, but it's supposed to come out when it's time to come out. And my, this placenta was more like tree roots that it had grown through my placenta. And with all the miscarriages I had been through before, I basically maybe just had a Velcro type issue hormonally or otherwise. They also think I might have a certain kind of shaped uterus, which you can't tell until you take it out of the body. There's no test to do ahead of time, but almost like I might have two chambers in my uterus. And that's the thing, I guess. I didn't know about that until they told me maybe that's one of the reasons this happens. But because of the retained placenta, they couldn't get it out. So they were trying to manually remove it. And let me tell you, that manual procedure, thank God at one point, they gave me drugs and knocked me out. But I remember the first part of the procedure and they had tried waiting. It was getting to the point where it's unsafe. So a lot of women actually die from retained placentas when they don't have medical care or they don't have access to when they're giving childbirth. The uterus will start closing down around it and then it becomes 
like it can kill you. Okay. And this is not the only reason I say that this is a near death experience. It's not just because of this, but we'll get to that. And I know this is a longer story, but I want you to understand the intensity and the gravity with which I approach everything in my life in a different way now. And it's because this day essentially changed my life, not just because I became a mother, but because of how I became a mother. And I didn't just birth a human son. I birthed a next level mission. And I I don't always love when people say birth your ideas. I don't always love that analogy, but I don't judge other people when they use it because I get it. And in fact, I just use that analogy. So there we go. There's that. (laughs) But the manual procedure didn't work. Then they tried a DNC. They went in to try to surgically remove the placenta and that was not working either. So then at this point, Jackson was born early in the morning. And now we're early afternoon. I love that I had expressed my desire to breastfeed so that even though I was not fully conscious, Naomi and my husband had been advocates for me. They spoke on my behalf and got the baby latched. So by the time I was aware of what was going on, which was very painful, by the way, there were ice packs being applied. There were stitches, like a lot of stitches that had been put in to keep everything where needed to be and to stop bleeding. And and then the doctor comes in and basically gives me the breakdown. Now he had reached out to multiple hospitals because I had a high risk pregnancy and had been seen by um, specialists because of my previous losses. They did have a lot of information about my anatomy, about my hormone levels. I mean, everything physiologically checked out perfectly that, that they knew how to test for, for the past five years. I had literally had every test possible and Physiologically, there was no reason for any of it because of my husband or I that they could determine. That being said, that also meant they had all of this information available because I was with the same team that I had had all these tests done with. So basically, the options were we could cross our fingers since I was medically stable for the moment, but also that could change any moment. And if I did become medically unstable, they would need to proceed with a hysterectomy immediately. I could choose a hysterectomy, which at that point I was like, I'm in trauma. I don't think deciding in this moment about whether or not I want another child is going to be fair. So if we can avoid making that decision right now, because right now I would choose definitely no, hell no, never, ever, ever again. I don't know if that's my truth or my trauma speaking. The other option was that I could undergo chemo for three months and they could try to radiate the placenta off of my uterus. But that would mean I would lose all my hair. I wouldn't be able to breastfeed. And it was maybe going to work, maybe not. And I was like, what is the effectiveness? And it worked about 25% of the time. And I was like, well, out of how many people? So again, my research brain, I know how to read research and statistics. Well, it's been tried with 12 people before. <laughs> I was like, so that means it worked for three people out of 12. And you've only tried it on 12 people. And Jake's mom, she's a cancer survivor. So I looked at the doctor and I said, well, how long do we have to make this decision? You know, do you need the decision right this moment? Do we have five minutes? Do we have five hours? Do we have five days? What's going on? And he was like, well, you're medically stable right now. So you have until you're no longer medically stable technically, but the sooner the better. We decided to go to a different hospital and have them try to manually remove it one more time. And if they couldn't, we knew that there would be a hysterectomy. 
the reason that we needed to get transferred to another hospital was because they didn't have a right amount of the blood supply of my blood type and different things. At the, it was a smaller hospital where they're perfectly equipped to handle a majority of even emergency situations. But mine was such a rare situation that when they played out all the possibilities, it was safer for me to have the procedure at a different hospital. So they moved, my son's name is Jackson, by the way, they moved Jackson and I into an ambulance and took us together. My husband followed in a car. My mom was on her way a couple hours away, but she met us at the hospital where they took me in for the final procedure that I ended up having. I remember having to speak. They had three surgical teams that were going to be on the floor. And there were so many things happening and just my physical pain. I hadn't even been able to have an ice chip in like 12 hours, something like that. I was hungry and I was thirsty and I was in so much pain, even with the amount of pain medication that I was allowed to have. But I remember them walking me through and I just remember choosing. I remember choosing. I was okay. It's not that it didn't hurt, but that I was okay with the hurt and I knew it wasn't permanent and all the conversations. And I was like, listen, I want to live. I want to live. I don't want a hysterectomy, but I want to live more than I want to keep my uterus. I want to live. That was my answer. I said, I want to live. Now, also, because there had been a lot of tearing and stitching, I also remember, you ladies will appreciate this. I remember before the surgery, the main doctor asked, do you have any questions before we get everything started? And I said, no. And as she started to walk away, I said, ah, 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 actually. And she came back and she said, yes, she was so kind and so patient. And I said, I heard there was a lot of tearing and stitching. Someone may have referred to it as a baby bomb happening. And my understanding is you're going to have to unstitch it to try to do what you got to do and then re-put it all back together. And just for the record, I really like, I really like myself and I would like to still like myself after. So if you're going to be doing the work, if you could do it as pretty as possible, that's important to me, but I want to live. Most of all, I want to live, but also I want to be pretty. (laughs) She chuckled and then she honored my wishes and said she would make it very clear to the team that living was my top priority and that I would appreciate their best work. The next couple days were a blur. I had blood pressure cuffs on both my legs. I had multiple IVs in both arms. I literally could not even push the button to move my bed. It took my mom and my husband lifting the bed sheet to move me an inch or two so my tailbone could take a break. There were all kinds of excellent care that was given to me by the medical staff and some very innovative approaches that I'm so grateful for. They were able to not have to physically cut me. Of the three operating tables I was on that day, the fact that I was not cut once, the fact that Jackson and I were both put back together perfectly well. In fact, even the next day when the the doctor did her checkup on me, she gave me a wink and said, I think you'll be quite pleased with the end result. So not only had they taken care medically, but they had honored every single desire from making sure that my baby latched on and I could breastfeed to making sure that I was put back together in a way that I would be happy with aesthetically. And for the next, I think it was another four or five days that we were in the hospital, 
The doctor that had originally delivered, he came to visit me at this other hospital. He he sat down next to me. I took it to heart because he was so honest and he asked me, how did you know to push? I've delivered so many babies. I know women's bodies have that instinct, but I had seen you not push. I saw that you could control whether you were pushing or not. So it didn't feel like it was involuntary. How did you know? He's like, I remember you telling us you were going to push this baby out and you did something that I've never seen anything like that. And I said, I think it's everything I've ever done in my whole life. My mind, body awareness, my spiritual connection, understanding my energetic blueprint, my communication skills, my calming my central nervous system, all of these things. I, I don't know how to explain what I did, but I know that it's part of why I'm here. He looked at me and the next thing he said really validated everything that in hindsight, I might have thought I was making up in my head or I might have been like, don't tell people about that. That's weird. So the fact that I hadn't had drugs and then also when he looked at me and said, if we would have cut you open on that table, you would have died on that table. I have no doubt in my mind. There's medical reasons why and there's scientific reasons why they know that to be true now, but they could not have known that before they cut. You couldn't tell from an ultrasound. You couldn't tell from all the different tests. There was no way they could have known, but he has no doubt now after the fact that that would have been the certain outcome. And I am not saying any of this to replace medical advice. Let me be very clear. None of this is being shared to replace medical advice. But it's about working with medical advice. It's about working with your body and your mind and your heart and your soul and all of the pieces of the energetic intelligence blueprint that I can now give to you in a simple single page PDF. Can you believe that it, it gets to be the first level of it? It's just one PDF. But it is so profound. And this is the moment in time. This day in the life of Bethany is what led me to the commitment of going through my 20 plus years as a professional coach and looking at all of the degrees and certifications and trainings I have and the life experiences I have and making sense of them so that I can complete my mission because my mission is not just about me. It's about impact and legacy. This work has literally saved my life. Before I knew what this work was, because I was doing it anyway, it saved my life. And you have an energetic intelligence of your own. You have your own blueprint of how to get there. And I want to help you do that. Maybe I went through that so you don't have to. And I'm not trying to be a martyr or a savior here. But I am going to respect what I've been through and honor my mission by having the courage to share how my body knew what to do. I knew how to communicate effectively. I had the right support people around me. I knew how to manage my thoughts and stay in power. And I knew how to listen to my intuition. How do I navigate the six key pillars of the energetic intelligence blueprint? Spiritual physical, mental, emotional, behavioral, relational. It took me decades to learn this, to practice this, to embody this, and then ultimately to realize like, oh my gosh, this 
is how all the puzzle pieces fit together. I always knew they were connected. You probably already know they're connected. But it's my intention that from this journey that we share together on this podcast, in our Facebook group, if you choose to become a client and work together more deeply with this, that you embody this in a way that doesn't just be something you vaguely know is connected. I want this to become a superpower resource for you so that you can notice anything off in your life and pinpoint exactly where you need to access the information that you already have. You already have this information or you at least have access to this information and it will change as your circumstances change and as time goes on and moment to moment, the information you're receiving is going to be updated. And so this is a living, breathing blueprint that I want you to become a master of navigating your own energetic intelligence so that you can have the impact in the world that you are meant to have. And that impact is following the heart-centered desires that you have. It's following the even the silly desires that you have or the big, wild, lavish, luxurious dreams that you have or the philanthropic dreams that you have, any and all of the dreams and desires that you have. If you're listening to this podcast, I know you're a person motivated by integrity and by doing good in the world. And it is my pleasure to share my life's work with you. I appreciate having you on the journey and look forward to getting to know your journey better as we go along as well. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review. And remember, it's great to have someone tell you what worked for them, but it's better to have someone show you what will work for you. Until next time, I believe in you.